constantly move forward. There's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day, and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host, and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can uh, follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And uh, today, uh, we're going to let uh, our uh, our program assistant and, and person behind the scenes out of the Big Beacon radio control booth and join us here on, on the show. Welcome to the show, Emma Schoenfelner. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. It's good to be back. Yeah, Usually and about live tweeting, yeah, listening. <laughs> yeah, about once a once a, once or twice a year, we uh, we uh, unchain you from the from the control room and and bring you on the show. And and today's a special occasion. This is our ninety ninth uh, broadcast, ninety uh, ninth episode. Time flies when you're having fun, and I we thought it would be a good idea to kind of reflect on the the show together. Comment. Definitely. No, it's, uh, I can't believe how many episodes there actually have been. It doesn't seem quite possible. There's been nearly a (laughs) hundred, but we've had a lot of great conversations over the past two years. We have, and and you've been a real force behind the scenes uh, at Big Big Beacon and at 3Joy, and um, you're involved in local theater, and you've kept the show up and running since its beginning. Um, normally we do some sort of introduction to our guests, but you've been on the show before, but, um, what one, two or three things would you like our, to update our listening audience about in your life? Uh, hmm. I guess I'll kind of say that in relation to, you know, my time working for Big Beacon, I think every time I've been on, I've, I've always denoted that I was an outsider from the arts world, uh, television, theater, whatnot. But now, kind of a few years in, I'm not quite sure how much I can say that anymore, uh, how much of an answer I really am, uh, even though I've never been, you know, a student in an engineering classroom or, or a student at a traditional arts, non-arts university. Um, I feel like I've now gotten a pretty good primer on the big picture aspects of engineering ed and higher ed. So maybe I, I wouldn't say I'm an insider, but somewhere in between. <laughs> well, and... and um I guess thinking, I, I don't think of, well, I think of you as a big part of the show and and, um, and think of arts as um, something that's sort of part of this bigger picture, not just for engineering, but for all of higher education. There are a number of things that we don't do that very, do very well in higher education. Uh, the arts is, um, well, we do them kind of technically and in isolation. We do them in silos, but we don't do them across the board, and that's one thing the show is about. Of course, I'm. Um, um, thinking well, about a totally different background. <laughs> yeah. No. So I've I've done a lot of stuff. I guess I'm thinking about in what ways would I? I don't usually. Uh, one of the nice things about these shows is uh, I get to talk 
about things that I care about um, as much as uh, the guests, uh, things that the, the guests care about. And, and um, if I ask that same question I asked of you to myself, um, what would I like our listening audience to, to know today? Actually, that's actually, now that I, I'm always asking it and waiting for the mm-hmm. pregnant pause, but I'm thinking about it myself. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I, I guess, um, I think over the course of the show, the, the sense of um, the show being fundamentally about authentic engagement and uh, and cultural shift as opposed to content curriculum and pedagogy shift is is something that just strikes me as it struck me as right uh, a few years ago as we have uh, the guests that we've had on the show it strikes me as even more right down the center that a lot of the a lot of how we um, a lot of how we don't make the kinds of changes that we want is because we're we end up changing the wrong stuff. We change the artifacts of the culture and not don't go right at the culture itself and, and don't go to the heart of the matter. And, and I think it's that mm-hmm. sense of um, the show is asking questions at the, at the heart of educational change that other people don't usually ask or afraid to ask or embarrassed to ask. I mean, when you talk about, uh, you know, big boys don't cry and talking about emotion is not a, a way to get a... Mm-hmm. A tenured professorship in engineering. So, um, talking about that stuff seems to me to be really important. Right, and I found that a lot of the most you know emotionally impactful shows are when people are sharing you know their own personal struggles, maybe not even directly related to what they're doing at their institutions or or in their careers, but that that's clearly something that it's such a universal thing that we all need to work through in order to change ourselves personally, to change cultures, to change organizations. So um, I think having all those, having people open up has been one of my favorite things about the show and listening to all these different people tell their stories. Well, yeah. And, and uh, I was early on looking for kind of a pattern of what, what in a whole new engineer? The book. Uh, what in uh, the Big Beacon Manifesto would make a basis for the show? That that unleashing question that we ask most guests at mm-hmm. the beginning. It turns out to be one of, in many ways, a highlight of of the mm-hmm. show. And and we're now even talking about uh, mining those stories um, and and uh, cr- creating an unleashing project to take that even further. But um, you know, so I, and but as you know, ask as as quote guests on our own show here today. I we need to ask each other um, the question, and so um, I'm going to ask it in a little bit more general form. So I'm, you know, so when we ask our guests, well, in what ways have you been unleashed? And if people are repeat on the show, sometimes they say, well, in what ways have you noticed unleashing in your experience? Maybe that's the form of the question we want to ask. In what ways have you and I witnessed unleashing recently in ways that were powerful that we'd want to share with the audience? Hmm. I would say for mine, given that, uh, you know, my arts background and whatnot, and, and this during the summer for our audience, I work at a local theater. And so I'm in the rehearsal room and we're working on different shows and, um, I've, I always witness in the rehearsal space unleashing of basically everyone there, especially all the actors, because that rehearsal space is, we create, we work really hard to create 
a culture in that room where you feel that you are not judged, that you are around trusted people who want the best from you, who, you know, give you the freedom to try different choices and go out there with your emotions. Um, and so, you know, every, every few days in the rehearsal room, you have a moment where someone has a very raw emotional response to something and we're all there for it. We're, we're supportive. And I think a lot of people out of that end up making some of the best acting choices. Um, for the show, which makes things more real for everybody. And I think that probably same thing can apply to any kind of unleashing experience. You know, that's so interesting. And actually we were just before the show, we were tied, went to the show that you, um, you were working on that should have been you at the Saugatuck Center for the Arts, which, by the way, if, if you're not, fam- if people are not familiar with the area, we, you know, we have this town of uh, about 2000 people and we have a center for the arts that just, uh, you know, knocks your socks off, and uh, kudos to Kristen Armstrong and and uh, her staff and Kurt Snam, the creative director. We've had Kristen on the show before, but um, actually, I was reflecting. One of the things that was so interesting about yesterday's show is the number of experienced actors in the cast, and just how professional they were. They were just like when in dance numbers, the line of their hands and their movement was economical and it was just, it was like effortless. And I just can imagine for some of the younger actors, what a, uh, what a master class that would have been. And, and uh, to then act, you know, as a younger actor to act with such confident old hands must've been a real experience for them. Oh, for sure. And even outside of the performing aspect of it, just being around people who kind of are showing you the way, which is, yeah. um, you know, the thing that we see in Unleashing Experiences where someone kind of points out something, gives you permission to do something, um, yeah. that experience is definitely present in the theater as well. Yeah. Nice. I, I was yeah. thinking about my own, uh, what Unleashing, what I want to share. And I had this cool experience, which was actually... Um, Tied to um, tied to one of our thought leader guests, uh, John Cotter, um, um, was on the sh- has been on the show a couple times. The second time he talked about his uh, uh, second um, business parable. Uh, that's not how we do it here, and we use that book down in a consulting a, a client of mine down in Brazil as a, a way to talk about innovation in the face of a routine culture. And uh, cult, the, this company was a, is a management consulting firm, um, about 800 consultants. And, uh, and part of the challenge was to kind of um, create, help create an environment that um, younger consultants would um, um, be, un, be unleashed. And so we went about a project called the consultant of the future and lo and behold in the middle of it uh we were working with in these small teams um real consulting project teams with the leadership and and the, the team members of these teams and and some of the young consultants kind of went off and did unexpected stuff um that was really cool and completely on task and exactly the kind of thing that we had hoped for. It was very much like the things that we've witnessed at Olin or at iFoundry where young people do unexpected stuff that is amazing with much more energy than you expect. 
And um, so that, that's sort of the most recent. I'm kind of hoping that I can get permission to share the name of the company and get them on the show sometime uh-huh. because uh, they are just. Uh, it was it was it was awesome. And and one of the first times that I've personally witnessed it as a consultant in in the. Um, for-profit sector. A lot of my experiences with this sort of thing is in uh, educational sector where there aren't as many constraints, you know, so, but you would think, well, maybe in a business where they're trying to get the stuff done that something like this wouldn't be valued. Um, mm-hmm. And yet it was, and it, and, or that it wouldn't even happen because people were so um, um, in the routine of what they were supposed to do. They were so much in the obedience mindset of and the task mindset right. that they they wouldn't right. grab onto it and 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 they did it was it was awesome. No, oh, that's beautiful. I think every that's the thing people think maybe don't realize how how much everyone could use being in leash. How everybody could benefit from all these things we talk about within the context of higher ed and, and engineering, but. These are so universal, all of these concepts that we all talk about. Well, and you just used an aesthetic term. You used the term beautiful to describe it, um, which is, um, we're maybe getting ahead of the game a little bit, but I, I, this summer we had the unconference and, and uh, actually inspired by the show, I asked one of our, our guests, Kate Goodman at, at, um, at Colorado uh, Denver, a PhD from Colorado Boulder, to talk about her work and um, in transformative experiences in engineering education. And so, part of part of that is affective, as we've called out in a whole new engineer. But part that she talked about when she was on the show that was really interesting was about um, aesthetics um, and and beauty. That mm-hmm. uh, and that tr- transformation in experience is about. Uh, seeing the world differently, and so and and take you take the lesson very deeply, and you see it everywhere. Um, right. Without, um, yeah, it's not a struggle to see it. You just see it everywhere, and then the application of it becomes just part of what you do and how you see the world. And uh, from a coaching perspective, that's you know that that kind of changing the observer you are is really important. But also, um, I I think her calling on some of her current work is, uh, is in aesthetics and the role of aesthetics in transformation. Um, and, and I think that that's underappreciated and it connects with um, the next question I had written down that um, the, the art, we've been talking about your work in the arts uh, and theater. Um, and I think this sense, you know, that, um, and we tend to think of, you know, I, we tend to think of a lot of these things as Chrome, cognitive hubcaps that we bolt on to something after the fact. But it seems, if, if aesthetics is important, it seems to me that the arts are m- much more important than we give them credit for in traditional higher ed. Comment. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think looking at um, so many people that are involved in our Big Beacon networks and so many guests we've had that a lot of them um, have a artistic background of some sort, you know, yeah. musicians like Jeff Evans, fellow yeah. theater folk like myself, Jonathan Adler, yeah. um, Kurt yeah. Patterson is into photography. Um, that clearly there's something in that, that you can incorporate these outside experiences, this outside way of thinking, learning, processing, communicating that really helps to elevate a transformational effort, which is very cool. 
Yeah, so I, I wrote here, in what ways have our, our lives been touched by the arts recently? We talked about your theater experience. Are there other ways in which you want to share arts, ways in which arts, is, you know, you're in many ways a trained artist, um, but are right. there other ways in which you want to call that out for yourself? Hmm. I don't know. I would say that the art is more all-encompassing I think than a lot of people realize and that, that a lot of people don't um, think of themselves as being creative if they're not literally doing a very traditional arts thing when in reality, creativity is so much more than, you know, doing, making a painting or, or composing a song or something like that. Um, That everyone is kind of inherently creative. And that's kind of the thing that I, I try to tell people who maybe don't feel like they're they're a real artist, but really everyone is. Like everyone's kind of an artist of their own life, um, and that's kind of we, that comes up a lot in um, yes. in our conversations about stories and being able to craft yeah. your narrative and everything like that. So yeah, yeah. Actually, and so thinking you know, what you just said, you know, and so for me, I explicitly do things that are artistic that are sort of not engineering things. I um, you know, in 2011, I took uh, Brian Baumeister's uh, uh, course based on his mom's uh, book, uh, Betty Edwards, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, and and uh, that changed my wife's life. She's now a, a painter, and and uh, I I'm a mad sketcher, and and and, and <laughs> it has changed how I see the world. Um, in a, on a regular yeah. basis, but it also um, and then music is a part, and I I. Um, been trying to work on my guitar playing and keyboard playing and and uh, I compose original songs and, and lyrics and stuff in ways but I you know I was actually just thinking about it in the context I went going back to Kate Goodman's um, show the sense in which um, things transformative are things that help you see the world differently and ubiquitously and I was thinking, you know, one of the things I struggle with as a teacher is um, I, I, I'm, an artist, I'm an artistic learner, and I've never struggled with that. It's like, you know, people give me a new model or something, and it can be fairly abstract, and I'm going, oh, God, I, I see how I can apply that here. And it's like, I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, and I want to go out and do it. And, and, um, and it's not like it. And then when I do, when I present similar things in settings and it's like people need, uh, they're less artistic, some, you know, not at everyone, and I'm, they, they don't see the, the, the mm-hmm. way in which the thing applies. And I, so I think there's something, um, there's something to this, the extent to which um, you can be artistic in this way transformative in this way with ideas and that's uh, mm-hmm. cognitive stuff but also with artistic stuff but the key is whether it kind of changes kind of changes maybe or as one way to view it is to, that it changes your perspective mm-hmm. most definitely I mean that's the thing about that you learned in that you learn if you're in any kind of art class and if you talk about art critique or anything it's it's all about the perspective of the viewer and kind of, we're talking about, you know, story and whatnot. What is the narrative you're yeah. telling yourself? What is the story you're telling about your school, your culture, yourself? What is, um, what does your creation mean? That kind of thing. No, it's, I, I think there's a far more space to talk about the arts in relation to engineering and STEM than people realize for sure. 
Well, this first segment uh, vanished, and so let's take a little bit of a break, and we'll come back and uh, uh, continue this uh, 99th show where we kind of take a look back at some of uh, some of what we've observed and, and learned from Big Beacon Radio. And uh, stay with us in the next segment. Um, we'll come back and um, talk about some of our favorite shows. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership facilitation to help transform your educational institution or organization. And you can ask uh, our guests questions or make comments at Twitter uh, at hashtag Big Beacon. And we're back with um, with our program guru Emma Schoenfelder, and we've been talking about the this the ninety this is our ninety ninth episode, and and kind of looking back and and um, what have we noticed about the show? What have we learned from the show? And and um, Emma, a lot of the shows, as you mentioned, uh, start. Um, we start. We intentionally start emotionally by having people talk about unleashing and, and experiences and a bit of their journey. Uh, and some of the shows have been fairly had some pretty awesome moments um, that were fairly deeply emotional and personal. Um, any any episodes that stick in your mind in particular? Thinking of some recent episodes, actually, um, ironically, both people from who are connected to Olin, um, but I was thinking of Allison Wood, who we had a few weeks ago, um, that she was talking about. She's a, a new young faculty member, and she was she shared that helping her students work through kind of their imposter syndrome feelings helped her deal with her own feelings about being a young faculty member and feeling like an imposter in that role um, and finding that connection. And then also uh, Zenya, who I will never be able to pronounce her last name, unfortunately, um, 
she was on the show recently as well, and she was talking about how she's currently on developmental leave to kind of delve deeper and to be able to critically reflect on her own path, you know, to better be able to support her students in the future. And that she had this moment where, you know, she's teaching courses on storytelling and narrative and that she came to acknowledge how much she didn't know about herself and her journey. And she kind of learned to give herself permission to not know, which is now giving her um, the freedom to come to understand her own story, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah. And I, I was struck by those two as well. And, and uh, just to, it seems to me that part of what we're learning overall from, from this in general is that sense that there's, there isn't enough space in higher ed today, or for that matter, ed in ed writ large, uh, for people to explore these deep things. It's basically school, whether it's K twelve or or higher ed, has become this place where you sort of master existing knowledge, and it's not particularly mm-hmm. crafted as a journey for a sort of self discovery or or um, um, and and ties rarely explicitly ties into the things that motivate us, and that just seems like part of the problem. And so when we hear these kind of deep stories where it does, um, um, it's pretty special. Another one that sticks in my mind is also a recent story when we had uh, dean the dean of engineering from Aseshi, uh, Fred ba- McBackenlury, on the show um, from Ghana, and he told the story of um, being. Um, being shot, um, mm. and and, um, uh, and just somebody came to his door and shot him. I don't know if it was a robbery or what. And he's in the hospital, and and he's with this um, um, this male uh, nurse who, at age fifty six, had uh, had suffered an illness and and promised that if he recovered, he would go help people with their illness. Mm. And uh, and Fred was inspired. With this, by this experience of being shot and meeting this person to commit his engineering background to uh, bioengineering and helping people, uh, you know, medical devices and things like that. It was really an awesome, awesome story. I guess another one that sticks with me is maybe less personal, but it's it sort of uh, it was unexpected. Uh, uh, first time John Cotter was on the show, we were talking about. Uh, um, our iceberg is melting. The first, the first parable, and and in our family, penguins are sort of here. We we worship heroes in our, <laughs> or not? We worship penguins in our family. If you come into our house, you know, there are penguin statues and penguin paintings and pen, You know, peng, I wear a penguin <gasps> necklace every day. So penguins are us here in the Goldberg house. And so I asked, um, I asked John um, where that came from, and it just sort of the that asking him that and his telling the story of how um, the 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 first um, the first of those books um, mm-hmm. came into um, came into being and and just it, it, it became instead of a a cold calcu- a cold conversation about about change in a very rational way turned it into a very warm conversation about change and how human how human changes and and um, mm-hmm. and actually I was I that ties back to the earlier story I told um, and I didn't really finish very well um, but. 
uh, the second time John was on the star- show, he talked about his his book. That's not how we do it here, um, which is um, about a family of uh, African family of meerkats, and so we moved from penguins to meerkats. And the the young consultants at this company in Brazil um, had read this book, and they in naming their team, they called their team the meerkat team. And so the sense mm-hmm. in which story and and fanciful things you think have you know that we think have no place in rational business are actually at the heart of it all. Oh, definitely. I think people sometimes need a an outside story where they think, oh, this is something probably not connected to us, meerkats, penguins, why not? But to really realize and, and connect to that, which is obviously why, you know, yes. the course of history, fables have been a prime source of learning and storytelling for all of humanity, it seems. No, but it's that stuff that we, you know, that's that's all that stuff is... Well, it's either squeezed out or so, okay, fine. They're classes of literature, but it becomes this, the, the classes of literature aspire to be more like physics than, and they aspire to models of rationality like physics and, and deconstruction and so forth, as opposed to uh, caring, uh, caring as much about the story and the importance of story. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so somehow, um, somehow the kind of the, the, the human part kind of is has been um, squeezed out of the higher right. education experience and 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 then we do that same thing you know we we ape we ape that we look at our top research universities when we're doing everything and everyone tries to ape that and so we squeeze out the humanity of of the whole thing and then and then the humanities and social scientists wonder why there's no role for this kind of dehumanized humanities and social science at the end of the day. Right. Hmm. What if, uh, I was wondering, because we're kind of talking about favorite shows, you kind of mentioned, you know, John Cotter right now, but some yep. of the thought leaders we've had on the show, um, are there any others that you particularly enjoyed? Well, you know, we've had, I mean, we've had just such a, and I hate to call out any of them because we've had such a great list. We've had kind of, you know, uh, A-listers a and then others who aren't as uh, household names, uh, you know, guys like John and Dan Pink and Ed Shine and um, Edward DC and so forth. Um, I, you know, one, um, we've had Carrie Hannon on the show a couple of times. Carrie is a New York Times um um, columnist and and uh, blogger, and she writes a lot about she writes a, a lot about work today, um, and how work is changing, and also um, about transitional work uh, when you kind of when you leave the workforce or you retire, um, what's your second act like? And so mm-hmm. she wrote a book a number of years called What's Next. She's written an AARP um, guide to working over fifty. But a lot of her, a lot of her, um, a lot of her stuff is is just around the workplace. And and actually, that makes me think of the conversations I've had with her, and also the conversation that we started with Dan Pink. Dan um, Dan's first book, which people don't remember as well as uh, Whole New Mind or Drive was a free agent nation where he talked about the way in which work is changing and people are becoming freelancers. This was this was a number of years ago before it had fully, it had, has blossomed as fully as it has I mean, before Uber and Lyft 
and um, mm-hmm. and and freelance.com, um, Dan Pink was writing about the way in which work is changing, and I, I think some of my some of my favorite shows have been around that reality about well, what's what's the workplace like today? Because it's so much different than uh, say when you know I graduated from schools in the from uh, with my bachelor's in the mid 70s, and so it's just it's like a different planet and yeah, we many ways don't we sort of treat it like it's similar or the same or mm-hmm. or that that you know say, okay you'll go to work for a big company well no you probably you probably won't and uh, benefits are different and everything's mm-hmm. different what about you what um, thought leaders uh, flipped your pizza uh, I think the one that always stuck with me was Mark Goulston Mm. Uh, he was one of our earlier guests. He was a psychiatrist, and he was also an FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah. Um, so we, his, he wrote a book about called Talking to Crazy and kind of dealing with challenging people. Um, and a lot of what he talked about was, you know, listening, which is, you know, a giant theme in, in all of um, your work, especially. Yeah. Um, but talking about, you know, in order to truly listen to another point of view, you kind of have to step back and try to give up your own POV for that moment to really pair with someone and be with them and listen um, without, as you said, without memory or desire, like just to be there. Um, And especially when you're dealing with people who are mentally unstable or whatnot, it was just, it's a kind of world that I don't usually hear about, but you can apply those same traits to working with, you know, difficult people in any situation of your life. Um, you know, leaning into people's irrationality, trying to figure out what's really going on, what is what is underneath that, what is the emotional thing going on that makes someone act the way that they are. Um, and as someone who's super into personality and uh, kind of psychology, um, those are some of my favorite topics that we've talked about on the show. Yeah, no, and and yeah, Mark. Mark was a was a great guest, and and those books are great books. I, oftentimes, when you know, so as you say, listening is a big part of uh, the training that we deliver in Three Joy and Big Beacon, and and it's a big. We think it's a big part of uh, transformation, and um, and yet it's we don't. There's little emphasis on well, how do you listen, and how can you improve your listening in higher ed and in coach training? It's Coach, coach training 101 is is right. how um, how do you how do you listen and how do you listen to understand as opposed to listening from ego or listening to what this what the other means to you and and it's a it's a really crit- crucial um, distinction. Um, actually, that leads into coaching, and so one of the categories uh, we've had lots of uh, we've had lots of coaches. We've had a lot of emphasis on coaching skills on the uh, on the show. Uh, we've talked about you know, so we talked about Mark. Any any uh, any others that uh, stick out from the coaching realm for you? Um, I would say that Kate Ebner was a good mm. one for me. Um, she was talking a lot about the role of a leader, and that. She's saying that in higher ed, that like leadership, that a lot of people have an ambivalence about that. Um, maybe it's just the nature of that culture that it's more of it's. I mean, I as I said, I don't know about being in it, but that a lot of people don't quite know how to lead effectively. Um, and she's talking about that you know thinking of a leader as a storyteller and how effective are you at connecting with people using story, um, which I found. Very interesting. Um, well, and, if, and it, it's 
someone yeah. who's been in that story, you know, so it's not, it's worse than, it's worse than that. And, and I don't think she was understating it, but it's, you know, if you actually are a good teacher or you're a good anything but researcher and generator of research papers or other scholarly production, you're not really viewed as serious. And so people who are good leaders or good at uh, committee work or good at collaboration or good at anything but sort of the single-minded pursuit of scholarly work are sort of not um, considered serious. And so I think that's, maybe that's uh, lessened somewhat, but I'm not sure. I, th- I mean, the higher ed uh, presidents and deans and so forth are still pushing on that research accelerator to the exclusion of other other talents that are needed in the in the university and it's a big it's a big problem for encouraging people to be you know broadly uh, complete to be whole new educators mm-hmm. so to speak right i'm sorry you were going, you were going also, on i thought i just on. wanted to interject that point Go ahead. oh no you're right no i was going to say kind of off of what you just said that um another person that i enjoyed who um talked about, well, it was Sarah Miller Caldecott, who was a, uh, mm. the descendant of Thomas Edison, and kind of what you're saying that um, she talked a lot about how Edison himself kind of played, even though he, you would think of him as being, oh, I'm you know, the leader of Menlo and whatnot, that he was kind of more of a coach, collaborator, um, kind of trying to bring the best out of everybody to put people together who had different schools of knowledge, um, people who weren't always experts in things, and um, I just thought that was an interesting way of, of, sh- of showing a good example of how to be more collaborative, where you can be a leader, but not in the traditional sense, maybe, that people think of when you think of a leader who's kind of um, laying down the law, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, a, I, I think it's a good way in education to frame it. Well, we have we have a number of stories around American innovation, or you know, and Americans are, you know globally are considered innovative and entrepreneurial, and we have lots of, I think, uh, the entrepreneur story and the individual, the creative individual, is is part of the mythology of of innovation and and um, uh, leadership in in our country. And yet, when you look under the hood of stories, even like the story of of sort of the most one of the arguably most successful individual um, inventors of 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 all time, Thomas Edison. That it's actually a story that involves um, a lot of pair work with um, with individuals, a lot of uh, a lot of collaboration, and a lot of fostering of the right kind of uh, spirit and openness, so that people feel free to contribute to a, a larger um, solution, system, invention. Exactly. What were yeah. some of your favorite coaching related shows? Well, I and so there were, you know, so I just, I just love my um, all my coach colleagues who came on the show, uh, uh, Sarah Happel and uh, uh, Catalina Copeman's uh, just took training as a coach and talked about her experiences. Bev Jones is my coach, and uh, Kelly Lewis was my um, was. Uh, um, Oh, um, leader of our um, 
our little coaching uh, team at uh, at Georgetown uh, cohort thirty, Daryl Nardic, a colleague from Co- uh, Georgetown. I I, uh, I really enjoyed uh, having Chalmers Brothers on the show. Uh, Chalmers Brothers uh, books, uh, particularly Language in the Pursuit of Happiness, is a text that a lot of coaches read to become coaches, and uh, uh, some of it takes a, it, uh, a lot of it borrows from um, the ideas of. Um, um, people like Fernando Flores and others, but it puts it together in a, in a very nice and integrated way that is easy for coaches to take and apply. So some of some of the stuff's pretty abstract uh, uh, speech, acts, uh, philosophy that uh, if you read it in the original is a little bit dry. But uh, Chalmers has a has had and has a nice way of uh, humanizing these things and and uh, making them available to people. I enjoyed uh, very much enjoyed that conversation. Wonderful. Why don't we? I think we're. Well, actually, we're up again. uh, Time is going (laughs) (laughs) even more quickly than usual on the show. And so we're up against uh, a break in our second segment. Uh, Let's take another break and we'll maybe talk about another category or two and then uh, talk about what all this. um, what all this uh, might mean for the future of the show. This is Big Beacon Radio with a special guest, Emma Schoenfellner, and and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about some of our favorite shows and uh, the future of Big Beacon Radio in our last and final segment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is sponsored by the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. And uh, since we've been talking about some of our guests, uh, one of our guests, Dan Pink, said, uh, quote, this isn't just a book about engineering. It's a book about education, entrepreneurship, and ultimately the future. Read it and prepare to take notes. Um, WholeNewEngineer.org, and I'm back with Emma Schoenfelner, and we're we're talking about uh, Big Beacon Radio and this our 99th episode. And um, Emma, we've been um, 
Oh, we've been kind of going category by category. We've talked a little bit about innovation. Um, um, is there a category? What category do you want to talk about in the ones that we have well, remaining? I mean, You're not going to get to them all. I would always, no, I would always pick, you know, liberal arts and interdisciplinarity. Um, all right, go for it. A favorite of mine. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, some of my favorites for that were um, Scott Newstock, who was a English professor um, who had written and given a talk called um, How to Think Like Shakespeare. And his show had a lot of interesting um, kind of language lessons that kind of pointed um, to education, how education has kind of shifted today. And um, he's talking about, you know, in Latin that the word inventio was meaning invention and it actually meant an inventory of everything that you've learned like little interesting details um, that could be used to kind of re-contextualize um, uh, a lot of learning and innovation and entrepreneurial thinking. Um, and he was kind of also talking about, because he also had a theater kind of background, um, that in the theater there is language, you know, to talk about presence and authenticity, and there really isn't that in the STEM world. So kind of just showing the difference between all these things and what we were kind of just talking about is, you know, how do we incorporate all these things? How do we bring emotion and authenticity into the higher ed space? Well, and I, that point about um, presence and body, um, you know, different ways of knowing. So we're so stuck on language as the only way of knowing. Articulated knowledge is the only knowledge or to a certain extent in the, in higher ed. And, and it just seems so limited. Um, I, you know, from a you know, to go back to our the coaching piece before the one of the many conversations we had around coaching was the extent to which coaching goes beyond language and and sometimes the most productive coaching conversations are where you're you you are talking about experience in body or emotional experience or sort of non-cognitive, you know, so you're sort of beyond how you're thinking about something and how you're feeling about it either emotionally in your heart or in your body. And, and, um, and I think the, you know, to connect with that point about presence and theater, another, uh, this isn't, this isn't in our category under liberal arts, but um, Amelia Terrapin, and her work mm -hmm. in bringing dance to learning in K-12 um, STEM and elsewhere that, that just and uh, systems thinking through people dancing together and, and moving their bodies together and how impactful that can be for young people. Um, is, it just seems to me that there's, there's so much that we're not even looking at because um, – you know, we've got this light under, you know, this light out in the, the street that shines a light in certain places, but a lot of, a lot of where we need to look is not illuminated. Mm -hmm. As Scott said in his show, he said, life is a performance sport. You show up in body, head, and heart. I thought yeah. that summed yeah. it up pretty well. Yeah. And what are, no, yeah. that's great. Go ahead. I was just wonder what are some other favorites of yours of whatever category that we haven't touched on oh i let's see well there's so many uh, i think one of the ones i have to in terms of sort of the one that's sort of living in my mind rent free a lot of the time um is a conversation with barry johnson about polarities and uh, and and these 
you know, Barry, um, oh, uh, time, quite a long time ago, had this idea about these opposites that need each other. And his quintessential example is, well, what's the right answer, inhaling or exhaling? Well, of course, you need to do both. And that's that's the point. In polarities, there are these opposites, and they actually need each other. So, um are we talking uh, individual work, teamwork, which is the right answer? The answer is yes, we need both. Or um, do we need uh, technical knowledge or humanistic knowledge? Well, we need them both. Um, but we tend to be have a predominant or favorite pole in whatever system we happen to be in. And, and we're feeling both the good stuff and the bad stuff of that pole because we're stuck on it. And so we sometimes tend to think about the opposite pole as being the solution to the problem of too much technical knowledge. And some people read a whole new engineer in that way, um, like that if we're going to become engaged and we're going to have six minds and people go, oh, Goldberg and Somerville want to create engineers that are fluffy that build bridges that fall down. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. And the experience of Olin was an experience of a school that was considered um, among the most challenging and hardest as well as the most fun. And so it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing that we want. We want things that are engaging and tough. We want, you know, we want to balance, we want to manage these polarities where we get the both, the best of these opposites. And sometimes, it, you know, they, they're not just in, in doublets, they can be in, in triples, but it's easier to think of them oftentimes as in, in pairs. And there's so many of them in trying to think about educational reform where we're stuck in one place. We were just talking about cognitive, you know, being in language and articulate knowledge versus all the other ways of knowing that are not valued. Well, we're, we're not telling anyone that we're going to give up on articulate knowledge in higher education. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, let's have a little bit of the other stuff. And oftentimes, that's all you need is a little bit of the other stuff that can have right. a huge benefit to ma- uh, getting people excited about it. Comment. Oh, for sure. Well, actually, in saying that, I, I was thinking about um, both of our medical school shows um, where obviously mm. in the medical field, especially talking about like surgeons uh, was one of them, that it's so technical. It's so kind of seen as this like individual pursuit um, that you miss. If you just add a, a little bit of empathy in there, a little bit of, you know, understanding of being in a team, in a surgical team or whatever, that that uh, can elevate people so much more and be so much more effective in dealing with patients and everything like that. Well, that was such um, a, that was such a great, yeah, that was such a, oh. those were both great shows. Uh, we had, um, um, uh, Maggie, uh, Carey and Jack Penner talking about, uh, 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 uh medical doctors who were self-medicating themselves with coaching. Um, essentially, mm-hmm. we had kind of a coaching program for medical students to help. You know, so, you know, medical school is not a warm, fuzzy thing, and, and uh, there's high rates of, uh, um, I guess there are high rates of even things like suicide and disease and problems and, and uh, stress and so forth. And so how do you get through an experience like that? So coaching was was part of the answer to that. And Maggie, of course, is a, a trained uh uh, trained coach, and then the then the flip side was a school that was modeling itself after Olin, the new uh, medical campus uh, at uh, Penn Penn State with uh, Mark Stevens, uh, a Navy medical doctor, many years now as a um, a medical 
professor uh, helping uh, and then a, a group of students acting as partners to help co-create this new program in much the way that Olin created theirs. I thought they were really nice bookends to what what's possible in prof- not just in uh, engineering education, but professional education more generally. And where are the lawyers and, and other uh, where are the architects and, and where are the other kinds of professionals that need this sort of thing? Right. No, I loved those shows. So it was a bit terrifying to hear how a lot of surgeons are not paying attention to a lot of detailed things. But no, I think uh, schools like Penn State and, and Maggie's work uh, will help that area for sure. So we've just got four minutes left, and it's going to be hard to wrap in that time and 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 do the do the ninety nine episodes justice. But um, uh, what 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 have we learned? from this what are the I think we've talked about some of these things but what are some of the takeaways that we haven't talked about yet hmm that we haven't talked about yet that's a hard one (laughs) we covered a lot of unleashing and uh, being emotionally open I think are are my biggest things that I I always notice anything that you can think of yeah, I I think you know one of the things that I've been struggling um, over the course of the show to explain why coaching stuff is so important in this context, and I I was um, I was at a, a conference on on engineering professionalism as actually in connection. It was I think one of the things I've learned from the show is how important these conversations are because I meet these people I never knew, like Kyle Davies. So Kyle asked me to go to a a meeting on engineering professionalism, and and I went. And I as part of that, I pre- was preparing by reading uh, Don Shun's book, uh, uh, The Reflective Practitioner. And and um, I think one of the reasons we're sort of stuck in the wrong place is we have a we have a an a unbalanced theory of of the of of what knowledge is. We we think of knowledge in in these these areas as being um, what Shun calls technical rationality. So we learn stuff in an area that we then apply to the area, and that's that's the job of of technical education or professional education. And Shun pro, uh, gave a polarity. I called it a polarity. He didn't. He was sort of thinking of it as a better way to think of professionalism as conversation in action. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the things that this show has kind of been trying to gesture at is how do we have a properly trained professional, whether you're training for a proper profession like engineering or medicine, or you're going to be a professional person out in the world, a lot of what you need to do is have conversation in action or conversation with the situation. And some of those conversations are with yourself, and some of them are with people, and some of them are with um, an abstraction of the situation that you're dealing with. But it, it's it's a it's a dialectic that we don't talk about. We have places where we talk about it. We talk about Socrates and dialectic. Comment. Mm-hmm. We've got about thirty about thirty seconds. You're going to have the last word, and oh. I'm going to sign off. Oh yeah. boy. <laughs> Let's see. I'm just thinking of you know the show as a seconds. whole and um, how how many amazing conversations that we've had with everybody. And I'm just looking forward to the future, the future guests, future opportunities that uh, people will meet, people that can speak at future own conferences. <laughs> um, no, it's been a, a great experience learning about a whole world that I didn't know anything about and realizing how much um, things are actually connected. So, Emma, thanks for all that you do for yeah. um, the show and for uh, Big Beacon and for uh, um, three joy and look work look forward to working with you as we go forward with the show. Thank you, Dave.
You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest, uh, Emma Schoenfeldner. Special thanks to all of our guests on these 99 episodes. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.